0: Pirate Wire Radio Frontlines Indie Journalism as part of Pirate Wire Services
1: Frontline Indie Journalism from the Global South to you
2: Pirate Wire Radio Transmission initiating in 3 2 one, piracy commencing. Pirate Radio. Okay, so we're here today with Matt Yuki. He's a journalist and has also been an economic investigator in the private sector all over Latin America. Recently published a story in The Guardian, Sobre, uh, whoa, I'm spanglishing myself, sorry, about uh, El Salvador and their plan to... Make Bitcoin a legal currency. We've also got John Dennehy, who's an author and an activist. Has also been a journalist in various parts of the world, specifically a lot in Latin America. Who is currently in El Salvador and is sort of an activist for the cause and the beliefs of what cryptocurrency can do for the future. And he has started a school to in Ecuador, excuse me, in El Salvador to sort of educate people on what cryptocurrency can be. And I just wanted to bring you guys together to talk a little bit about what this move means, not just for Bitcoin, but also cryptocurrency more broadly, and how a state being involved in this could have positive or negative (coughs) impacts on the future of the region. Matt, you, you seem to have kind of a skeptical viewpoints about the El Salvador plan. Maybe you can elaborate a bit on that.
1: Hi. Right, yeah. Thanks, Josh, for um, having me on. Yeah. Um. In I was in El Salvador in August, um. And so I flew in and I met with various people in the sector, and obviously spoke to people on the streets. I think I'm coming from it. I'm coming it, coming to the topic from a relatively open mind. A lot of the things about cryptocurrency, uh, especially as a you know digital gold, is is something that um, I'm actually quite sympathetic to. And I know, you know, I'm interested, I've been interested previously on, in, you know, inflation and protection of wealth. And although uh, I'm not into the cryptocurrency myself, there's a lot of it that, I, you know, I, I see the logic um, for individual investors and I have friends who've done very well from cryptocurrency and I do not begrudge them their newfound wealth at all. Um, I just think that... When I went to El Salvador, uh, my impression was that it's being thrust upon the country really rather quickly um, through suspicious motives uh, and could be, you know, has the potential to cause serious economic problems. And so, I mean, again, I tried to speak to people from the government to get official government points of view, and they didn't want to talk to me. Um, I spoke to uh, actual investors who had gone there and set up companies in the country. Um, One guy was building, was trying to set up uh, manufacturing of his Bitcoin ATMs in El Salvador. He wasn't particularly. He said he'd suffered serious delays, and you know things have been slightly frustrating. Don't think he was. You know down on the project but he said it'd be tough uh and then i spoke to economists um who you know basically a- a outlined and the quote my favorite quote and the one i had to get in the article was that you know this is if you're if you're received if you're in a country with a welfare check and you are saving money and then you get you know money even a stimulus check or you have extra money and you want to spend that extra money you have uh on something like bitcoin that's great but you know his expression was which i very much enjoyed was this is you know yolo investing you only live once investing um done at a national level and so there is a chance um the bitcoin continues to go up it uh, doesn't face you know we've seen in the past that it can go down especially when there's government um regulations in place like china or who knows where else um involved and so that kind of volatility uh, probably doesn't make it uh, the ideal situation for a relatively poor country
2: uh, where people don't really know what it is. Now, before we kind of dig into some of that, because there's a lot there, could you sum up, like, what 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 is the government message on this when they're trying to sell the idea to the public? What, what are they saying? What is the goal from their perspective?
1: So, I, I I think that I mean, and and I think maybe John can do this better. Than me, but I think you know, financial inclusion. There's something. The thing is, is that there is. A lot of what they say, there is something too, but none of the, to my mind, is that the goals that they have, the stated goals for this could all be achieved in another way with less risk, I think. So, financial inclusion is one thing. 70% of El Salvadorans don't have bank accounts. And yeah, I saw people receiving payments in Bitcoin on their mobile phones, and that's great, right? But in places like Kenya, we have mobile phone payment systems. You know, we have sort of, you know, people make their Transfers uh, through a different manner. So, you know, there's, there's that, the digital payments thing can be solved another way. Um, there's the argument that it reduces remittances costs. Well, actually, in El Salvador, the remittance costs are actually comparatively low because it's dollar to dollar and often small transfers. And somebody like Western Union really doesn't charge, I heard conflicting things, it's either 2% or free, uh, I'm sorry, like uh, free without cost to send. Um, money from the US to El Salvador uh, with through Western Union. So, I mean, the idea that it's going to save lots of people in remittances is, is you know, s- sketchy. Um, what other, hang on, what other, what other, the, 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 there's those two, it bring investment to the country. This is the one I was most interested in. I thought, you know, when I go there, if, if El Salvador is the hot new thing and there's, you know, dozens or hundreds of Americans and Europeans piling into El Salvador to, you know, buy up properties and start businesses and and kick things, you know, kick things into gear, something, you know, something like in Medellin, in Medellin, we see a lot of uh, Bitcoin entrepreneurs, you know, gentrifying everything, and some of them maybe even starting companies or giving jobs, maybe that investment will be there. But then I'm not entirely sure that, there's a real reason or, or motive for somebody who's a big Bitcoin. If, you, if you're a Bitcoin millionaire, do you really want to go and live in San Salvador? It's quite an incomprehensible city uh, of all the Latin American cities I've been to, and I've been to quite a few. It's one that I found that had one of the strangest and least welcoming airs to it of, of any. Um, so, And then the digital gold thing, I mean, there are other ways to, I mean, it's pos, it's, it's possible that you can store wealth, the idea that, and I, and I do get this, that the argument put to me is look, because El Salvador is on the dollar, um, it really doesn't have control of its monetary uh, policy. So you know, while the Fed is printing loads of money and inflation's coming, those stimulus checks <laughs> that are getting printed in the wake of the, or during the pandemic, are not making their way down to El Salvador. So El Salvador has to sit there and watch while its money gets uh, debased, um, which is fine, uh, which I think is a good argument actually, but there are also other ways of doing that. And then also, you know, the idea that you can do things like uh, mine crypto, you know, this could be a great source of, um, uh, you know, investment in the actual mining of, um, of Bitcoin, which is, you know, is quite energy intensive. And the idea that we can, you know, El Salvador can get these geothermal projects up and running. Obviously, I'm not a geothermal expert, uh, but there are former heads of the geothermal energy company in in El Salvador saying that's a ridiculously overambitious project. That would be many magnitudes or several times more than, you know, any existing project. And it's still not an efficient way to do it in El Salvador when you factor in the. You know these machines which do the Bitcoin mining also generate a lot of heat and need to be cooled down. My understanding, again, not an expert, is that places like the ideal place to be stationed is in Siberia next to a next to a hydroelectric dam where it's cool and you get you know free, cheap, and en- like huge amounts of uh, cheap energy from um, from renewables and yeah. So the
2: energy thing is there's energy- all those things. The energy thing is definitely something I'd like to to touch back on later a little bit in the conversation, but John, maybe you can respond to some of some of those criticisms and uh, kind of give your point of view on this project.
0: Yeah, um, sure. Thanks. Thanks for having us, Josh. Uh, So I am here in El Salvador and I'm uh, I am very excited about about Bitcoin becoming adopted um, by the country just a few days from now. And I would—I mean—I'll start out with with agreeing with some things that Matt said. Um, this is happening very quickly, so I, I, I'm I'm pretty. Uh, I, I pay pay attention quite a bit to both Latin America and Bitcoin. And in June, when it was announced, that was a surprise to me. And this is just 90 days later that mm-hmm. that the law has gone into effect. Um, 90 days is not a long time to, to set this up. Uh, and I, I do think that, that that is one of the big issues right now is the speed at which it's happened. Um, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think because of the speed at which it's happened, it's led to a dynamic where a lot of the infrastructure isn't quite there um, in terms of like their, their Right now, installing Bitcoin ATMs, they don't have all the details for all the for all the legal ramifications, um, and education. I think is like a, a huge component that's been missing. Most people that I speak to here are are pretty uninformed. They 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 know the word Bitcoin. Uh, maybe they know some very basic concept. They know that it's digital. That maybe it's on their phone, but but for overwhelmingly that that's about where people's knowledge ends. Um, and I think that's like the government, there, there's a there is a an online class that they put out. Um, and I think that they are ramping up all of these things, the infrastructure, whether it's education, or whether it's accessibility with with Bitcoin ATMs, I mean, there's not even an official uh, app for the for a Bitcoin wallet, which will also come out in a few days. And also, in terms of investors, then, like the president has said that uh, foreigners can get fast-tracked residency if they invest three Bitcoin in the country, or I don't even think it's invest. I think if they spend three Bitcoin, but investors spend. um, How much is three Bitcoin worth right now? uh, Three Bitcoin is $150,000, roughly. So they're they're basically $150,000 visas they're offering. Yeah. But so this is, this is another, another thing. So he said three Bitcoin, when he said three Bitcoin, three Bitcoin was about a hundred thousand uh-huh. dollars. Now because price of Bitcoin has appreciated, it's $150,000. So I'm actually not, <clears throat> if Matt knows, that. but I'm that's not bad. clear if that's tied to a dollar value or if it's tied to three Bitcoin, if it's static with three Bitcoin. Um, but the point is that there, there's a lot of uncertainty. So I think, what Matt said about uh, you know foreign entrepreneurs coming here, I think that's that's a big part of the plan. And I have met a, a couple of people, but I've met more people who haven't come yet or came for a weekend and they plan to come in a couple of months. They're waiting to see to see how things shake out at first. Uh, so I think there are a lot of people waiting on the sidelines. And I think September seventh, I see it uh, especially after I've been here and I see how much more work has to be done, I see it more as a, as a starting point rather than an ending point. Um, And what do you hope to see? What do you hope that this, this achieves? Yeah. So what I hope it achieves, and this is like, Maybe everybody comes everybody who likes Bitcoin likes it for different reasons, uh, which I think is actually one of the great things about it that it does different things for different people. For me personally, and and one reason why I think it could be really powerful here is it gives people power and sovereignty over their finances and longer term it will give them power and sovereignty over other other aspects of their lives so. uh, Just the way there there aren't a lot of Venezuelan refugees here but but I, I had experience with this in Ecuador, for example, um, and I'm sure, I'm sure it will apply here maybe on a smaller scale, uh, that someone that wants to send money to Venezuela or maybe Nicaragua, because we're, we're much closer to Nicaragua here, someone that wants to send money to a country like Nicaragua or Venezuela uh, that has restrictive policies in, in terms of money trans transmitters, and also policies that, that change frequency, change frequently like from one month to the next they you know the government say what what is okay now maybe isn't okay next month so there's a lot of uncertainty there um and with this that removes that that trusted third party from the from the equation so yeah it it has been talked about a lot how this could save money like rather than whatever the fee western union has it's essentially if you use the lightning network um it depends on how big the how big the transaction is But I've been using Bitcoin ever since I got here as much as possible, uh, which which is (coughs) and most of my transactions are less than a penny. Um, Some of my if I wanted to use a larger amount then it would be, it could be a higher cost. But in any event, it's going to be a low cost. Uh, But I don't think that's the main thing. I think the main thing is power. Right. So it's okay. Not it's not that it costs less money it's that no one can stop it from happening
2: that is an interesting argument to me the idea that it's inevitable right um that there's not really much use in trying to resist it for example in colombia uh, i believe it was a year ago maybe it was a bit more but they made it illegal to host marketplaces or wallets in colombia and the effect that that had on the transactions here was was nil nominal not nothing it made absolutely no difference um, another thing that's interesting is you mentioned Venezuela. So Venezuela has a little bit more than a tenth of the population of the United States, but they have equal amounts of Bitcoin uh, transactions and other cryptocurrency. I don't even think Bitcoin is actually the leader there. But the point is that as a ratio per, per hundred thousand people, that's a huge number. Like they're they're rivaling the economic uh, interchange of the United States, which is a massive first world country.
0: Right. Right. So I think that people come at Bitcoin from different perspectives. Like I'm, I'm from New York in the United States and most people that I know in the US that have some involvement in Bitcoin, they view it as an investment. A lot of people that I've met in Latin America that are excited about Bitcoin don't see it as an investment. They don't see it as a way to to have more spending power. They see it as a way to prevent, to prevent something from from um, exert and influence how they use their funds. And to me, that, that's a much more exciting topic. Not that you could make more money, but that you have more control over the money that you have. And what do you guys say to the, the criticism that,
2: I, that I've been reading quite a bit about uh, these issues in El Salvador? And they seem to kind of center around two issues, uh, one of which I think has a bit more credibility than the other. Um, one is that this could be used to facilitate money laundering on a huge scale. And the other is that um, the energy consumption is something that wouldn't be good for the world. Maybe you guys can both kind of respond to that. Matt, what do you think? Also, I think somebody in your house keeps coughing. <laughs>
1: so, yeah, probably.
2: Adam, can you stop
1: coughing, please? Um, so with regards to, and I mean, I don't know how serious this plan to um, I don't trust Bukele uh, well to go back a little bit when we talk about the short term um, the the 90 day time frame that Bukele uh, implemented to be honest I've got a little bit of sympathy for that short time frame because my experience in South America is if you want something done in six months tell people they've got three months Uh they might have actually done something I mean there's no point if you tell them six months they'll just you know Things will happen so slowly that you won't make the six-month deadline but if you give somebody an impossible deadline that you know or, or mildly the a, 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 an unrealistic deadline that they you know bust bust a gut to, to try and meet you might be sure. in, in the right place and, and to be fair when i was there i did see some empty um inside salvador i saw some like empty uh like shells in the in the park where they were putting things up and these were the new bitcoin atms and then recently bukele has you know, put out some pictures, and these these things do exist, and they are going into place. So, I think actually the urgency is probably a good thing, and there'll be some teething problems. But if you want to get something done in Latin America, yeah, okay, do it quickly. It should be noted that the El Salvadoran people have had no say in this whatsoever. And if you think it's a good thing that you met, you formalize these things on a on a webcam call with a guy from strike in a baseball cap who's getting all teary-eyed about how much he loves the people of El Salvador. And you think that you're going to change your country's economy in a really rather significant and unprecedented way. The way to announce that is to a bunch of gringos in Miami. I don't think that's a clever way. I don't think that shows a lot of respect Anyway, that's 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 by
2: It, it. just real quickly. It should probably also be noted for people who aren't super familiar with El Salvador, that Bukele is quickly developing a reputation as someone with very authoritarian tendencies. He's used the army to take over the, was it the Senate? Yeah, Uh, yeah. has enacted a bunch of unilateral policies without support from other branches of government, most recently dissolved parts of the judicial branch. So just quickly to note that for anybody who might not be super familiar with El Salvador. And I'll say, two
1: days ago, um, they were it, it, they arrested a uh, outspoken critic of the Bitcoin law without charges as well. So that was Really, one of most recent things, yeah. Um, so yeah, but I'm not. I don't hold that against the, the Bitcoin community, right? That's not that's not really the topic of discussion. But yeah, you have to question his involvement and 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 the dealings of his brothers, which I don't know enough about, but it's not particularly transparent. Sure. Um, with, with, with regards to the energy question. I don't know. I don't see why you would um, why you would why you would want to mine in El Salvador when it's really quite hot uh, with you know an untested um, energy. I mean the, the the effect of Bitcoin in the climate is a wider topic, it doesn't really have anything to do with El Salvador. I mean if it's gonna get mined, I don't really have a problem if it gets mined in El Salvador or or China or wherever, although it's probably even more inefficient in a place which is very hot. The money laundering issue. OK, it's is something that we've been talking a little bit about Twitter on Twitter. And so, yeah, when I when I try and bring money into Colombia, when I tried to buy my apartment in Colombia, right, I had to bring money in from outside the country. What did the Colombian government say to me? Because we're in Colombia and it is a nightmare. And God, this makes me wish I had Bitcoin when I was trying to buy this house. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, so I had to bring it in. I had to show where all this money had come from for yes. the last five years you know and really account for it bank statements tax returns all this kind of stuff to show that I could buy that that's you know presumably so that I didn't just hand over however many million pesos to my to, to a buddy to do it you know as part of a as part of a drug deal now my understanding is this and I hear what you're saying about that yes bitcoin leaves a record but what it appears to be saying at the moment the government this is my understanding is that if you have bitcoin feel free to change them into dollars here now, so if you, so let's say um, you did amass an illegal fortune on, on Bitcoin through very small transactions, doing illegal stuff or, or, you know, and then you go and change that Bitcoin, let's say three Bitcoins, $150,000, 30 Bitcoins, 1. 1.5 million. And, and you change that, you change that Bitcoin um, with the government of El Salvador. It's unclear to me in the future when, you know, you go to buy, you go to buy a house or, or try and bring that money from El Salvador to the U.S., whether the U.S. are going to say to you, well, where's that money come from? And you say, well, it's from the it's officially stamped by the sovereign government of El Salvador, whether that means the investigation ends there, in which case that is an opportunity mm-hmm. for, for money laundering, Right. And if if the person who's, you know, if you're, or well, let's say I try to bring the money into Colombia and so say, where, where's this $150,000 coming from? I say, well, it's come from the, it's, come, it's, you know, it's, it's stamped by the, the, the Central Bank of El Salvador. So now that's legit money. Sure. Right. And I don't think that the Colombian, the Colombian uh, banking system has the wherewithal to say, okay, so before you got those dollars, You took them from Bitcoin, so let's now look in, let's go back a step further and look at this digital record of the Bitcoin. And so that does become an attractive option. Let's hypothetically say that some people have illegally amassed fortunes in Bitcoin. It's not so hypothetical. Not saying it's one's worse than the other, but let's say they exist. Yeah,
2: sure, it's a medium of transfer, totally.
1: Yeah, let's say there's exists. And these people want to get their money out of that in the next six months where's better than El Salvador? Because you can just go and change it and then say, right, now I've got all this huge amount and allegedly if they're trying to get it more money into the country that way. I mean, I'm still a little bit f- fuzzy about this, but this has been explained to me. But this opens up, you know, a door for people, unless the legislation is going to check where that Bitcoin has come from,
2: that is a way to suddenly get clean. Dollars, John, right, you- which doesn't exist elsewhere. You can probably respond better than I can to that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so the way that the, the ecosystem exists now is someone who has all these Bitcoin that they they obtained uh, through nefarious means, it's difficult for them to turn it into dollars or pesos or whatever through any most like a regulated exchange like in the US and England, uh, something like a Coinbase or Gemini. Um, they maintain a list of like blacklisted Bitcoins essentially. like this address with bitcoins came from a place that we don't want to deal with it. So we're not going to let that come on our exchange. So that's how it's prevented from happening now. I would imagine that El Salvador would implement the same thing. I mean, these lists are, are are out there. They would have the same access to it that any of these exchanges would have. And if it is something that is not on this list, then they don't need El Salvador. They could just do it on one of these exchanges if somehow they have these Bitcoins that aren't on on this blacklist. So I don't think the the fact that El Salvador, the government of El Salvador could effectively act as an exchange between dollars and Bitcoin, we already have that. So there's nothing new and if they don't, I would assume they would take the same measures to prevent that from happening as what already exists out there. So it's just one more exchange. That's interesting. But when, yeah,
1: but, but but that's but that's the, but that's sort of the point I'm trying. I'm not, I, again, I don't know. And I think yeah, it isn't clear enough in the regulations themselves how this is going to work out. But presumably, if you're an exchange and you're changing a large sum of uh, dollars of of Bitcoin into dollars, yeah, you have to do KYC. You have to do know your client. You have to know that these Bitcoins. You do a check, right? You check that these Bitcoins aren't on this blacklist, or you try and you know. There's this amazing digital footprint that you can check that you know they haven't been involved in in dodgy dealings. And, and that's great. But that is the requirement that those exchanges have. My question is, mm-hmm. if El Salvador, or my doubt is, if El Salvador doesn't put in place those same requirements, if it, doesn't, if it just says we want Bitcoin and you can change them here, that there could be sort of a rush on the... Uh, of people looking, thinking it's an easy way to get their, their money done. Does El Salvador, does the government of El Salvador have a better or worse means of checking the origin of the Bitcoin it receives than the exchanges? If it's worse, then it's
0: not- Yeah, um, I, I would, I don't see why the government would implement a worse system than already exists because these exchanges they use, I mean, there's, there's companies that provide this service So they would provide the same service to the El Salvador government. I I don't see why the El Salvador government would be motivated to not implement the same practices that these exchanges already do. Okay.
1: What if a lot of people
0: show up looking to
1: change their Bitcoins into dollars and there isn't enough dollars in the El Salvadoran economy?
0: Um. So if, if people came here, so it's like there were just a ton of people that came here to sell, to sell Bitcoin and there weren't enough dollars, that's uh, what would happen? Um, so I, I know the, the government has a, like a fund of $150 million that they're gonna allow people to, yeah. to switch back and forth between Bitcoin and dollars. Uh, so, if there seemed to be—I mean, logically, I'm just thinking logically—what uh, the government would do if if there was much more demand for that service than than they anticipated, then I would I would presume that they would just increase the size of that fund.
1: But that money has to come from somewhere. Like they they can't print any more dollars. They're, there's only a certain amount of dollars in the right. world. Yeah. Right? So,
0: so, if it came to the point where they were just like totally flush with Bitcoin. And they had no dollars and they needed they needed both right the idea is to use both Um, then they could just sell that bitcoin on any of these large exchanges or over the counter you know there there will always be buyers on the market for that so they could go outside of the country for that yeah that makes sense
2: that's interesting and now let's talk a bit about the energy consumption. This is something that is concerned me and I've done a little bit of reporting on, but I'm certainly probably less informed than either of you, is that Bitcoin or not even just Bitcoin, almost all cryptocurrencies are energy hogs. They use a ton of energy in order to perform transactions as well as to do the, um, the, the mining, if you will. Well, they're, they're related, right? The issue that there's so much mining is to handle the transaction volume. Can you maybe explain a little bit, um, so the criticism that I often hear is, this is not an effective system because it's so energy intensive. Can you kind of respond to that criticism?
0: Yeah, um, so it, it does, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that use the same algorithm, proof of work, uh, they are very energy intensive. Like there's no, there's no denying that. Uh, so what I think is missed in that criticism is, is we think of the more energy that something uses, the worse it is, which historically has been true. But I think with Bitcoin, what is more important to look at the sources of the energy, like how the energy is created, um, and also not just not just in the present, but what we think, what we could theorize that will lead to. So I, the way that energy has worked historically is we've needed to produce it near human population centers because energy doesn't travel well and it doesn't store well. Uh, But what does travel and store well are fossil fuels, which is why fossil fuels have dominated energy for for the last century. Um, Not because they're more efficient, but because we could transport them to where we need to create that energy. So what Bitcoin does and what Bitcoin mining does is it takes away uh, that, that location dependency. So energy that's created anywhere, whether it's, whether it's the middle of the desert, the middle of the ocean, is just as useful to Bitcoin as energy created near a population center. So what that's, what that's going to do is it's going to change the incentives for energy creation. Um, so if there's a demand for Bitcoin, if people could get paid for creating energy where that didn't exist before, then people are incentivized to develop ways. Bitcoin doesn't care. Whether it's coal or whether it's solar or geothermal or oil, Bitcoin cares about the lowest cost for energy. It's it's like apolitical, like it 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 cares nothing for where the energy comes from. So renewables are on a trajectory to become the lowest cost energy. If you remove the if you remove the um, cost of transportation that yeah, if you remove the notion that we need to, to create energy where humans are, and it's just, we need to create energy, period, then it changes the equation. Um, and I think I'm really excited about this, not just for Bitcoin mining, but you know, as people are incentivized to create ways to harness energy off buoys in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, the technology that is created to do that more efficiently, perhaps we could use that for humans as well. Right. So so I think what what will happen is it will speed our transition away from fossil fuels in the long term, in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. Because I see like in the short
2: term, um, it's, it's incentivizing production in places where energy is subsidized by states, such as Venezuela, for example, where energy is effectively free and you have warehouses full of Bitcoin mining computers. Right. Because. Now from a global perspective that doesn't make sense but from if you're a, if you're a person in
0: Venezuela with with that incentive it totally makes sense right so it's not, it' it's, be- it's, not, sorry. It's, it's not even across the board right so it's not like everywhere that Bitcoin is that it's incentivizing renewables Bitcoin again Bitcoin doesn't care about that it cares about the cheapest price so in a place like Venezuela where they subsidize it then I think it, it creates incentives for the Venezuelan government over um, to do away with those subsidies, because if people are using that to mine Bitcoin and it's an artificially low price, then the government is going to spend more and more money to to do that. So I think they'll end those subsidies sooner in this case.
1: But the problem is, is that a government like Venezuela is entirely corrupt and uh, doesn't respond to the needs of its people. And the people probably benefiting most from it are the Government and the military drug, maf- military narco mafia surrounding them. So that's and and all the meanwhile in Venezuela, you have regular blackouts. And so the, I think you know you, the, your point is correct that big Bitcoin doesn't care where the energy comes from, but that it, that means it only needs you know one or two bad actors anywhere in the world. And I, my understanding is, is that a lot of the Chinese mining, when it got kicked out. Uh, went to Tajikistan or or somewhere in Central Asia where you can just you know happy days burn as much coal as you want nobody let's let's find a way to burn all our coal and 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 make some money off it so I think that you know the the, yeah in in well-regulated states where we have you know lots of renewable energy and, and and this kind of this kind of stuff then it then that that would be nice but the reality is it's not only Venezuela. The other place I heard about, not yet. So I know, I know, I know of a project in Paraguay, which is basically skimming off the um, the major uh, dam project there, uh, and not, you know, basically through corruption, through government corruption, uh, getting incredibly cheap, if not free, energy from from uh, Paraguay's port- uh, dam with with Brazil, and that's not something. That's actually, you know, relatively clean energy. But that's energy which should be being incentivized and sold to, um, uh, so, you know, for the benefit of the Paraguayan people, not for the benefit of a, a few, a few Bitcoin miners. Now, I'm not trying to say that Bitcoin, you know, that, that all people involved in Bitcoin, that's that's not, that's not the argument. But the problem with the energy is, is that it does create incentives for for corruption.
0: Mm-hmm. So. If I could just speak to the, to the Paraguay mining. Um, so I was in Paraguay two years ago to do some research about mining there. And, and I visited like a lot of the sites there and some new projects that were in development. So as I understood it, that Brazil and Paraguay share the dam, it's on the border and they, they, they each get half of the energy. Uh, Paraguay is, is a small <coughs> enough country that uses so little energy that they actually have a surplus. And as the contract is written between Paraguay and Brazil, excess energy, like if Paraguay doesn't use it, then they sell it to Brazil and they sell it at a very cheap rate. So they were incentivizing miners, like they were encouraging miners to come to sell them electricity that they were making money off of, but they were selling it at a higher price to the miners than they would have to sell it to Brazil.
2: Generated hydro through through hydroelectric power. Yeah. That's interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and another thing that, uh, I mean, this is like, a like kind of a, a big picture theoretical thing about Bitcoin and energy is I see Bitcoin as a paradigm shift. Um, and the way that our legacy financial system works is it is built on growth. It is built on, on always consuming more this year than you did last year. Growing the economy. yeah, the economy. You always it, the economy has to constantly be growing. Like it is, it is designed that way, um, and Bitcoin is a system that encourages saving. So whereas what we have now encourages spending, what Bitcoin does is it encourages saving, and I think that's actually super beneficial to the environment because to run away unnecessary consumption is terrible for the environment. Mm-hmm. And if, if people could. You know, like I had a conversation with a guy in, in El Zante, which is uh, which is like where the Bitcoin Beach, where the where there is a lot of people that use Bitcoin. There, um, the guy told me that he likes one of the reasons why he likes Bitcoin is because it it lets him it. There's something in his mind that he doesn't want to spend his Bitcoin. He prefers to save it, and he's actually learn to be a better saver because of Bitcoin and he's realized that he doesn't have to uh, you know instead of buying that ice cream he's like ah, I'd rather have that Bitcoin whereas with dollars like the way that the system is built I mean with with inflation or whatever like you're supposed to you're supposed to spend it you're not supposed to save it and Bitcoin that's, reverses that
2: that's an interesting an interesting example but that seems to me uh, as for the first time hearing this as kind of, perhaps it's an example of novelty, right? Perhaps, can you explain to me, I guess what I'm asking is let's imagine for a moment that Bitcoin was more universally implemented in the world. Why would I still have an incentive
0: to save rather than spend Bitcoin? Right, so, so the, the way that the, the dollars work now and, and all fiat currencies is, economists want a low level of inflation. Like inflation at the level that happens in Venezuela, everyone, know, everyone agrees that that's terrible um but most economists today think that we should have a a small amount of inflation and the reason why they want a small amount of inflation is because they want people to use the money they don't want people to sit on the money uh and using the money isn't just isn't just making purchases it's also making investments but but it makes a lot more sense the way that the system is set up now you're incentivized to use the money that you have not to hold it the longer you hold it the less it's worth because, because Mm -hmm. of inflation every year, the dollars that you have are worth a little bit less the way that Bitcoin is set up um, or the theory of it, you know, it's still new. And like, I fully acknowledge that this is, this is a grand experiment. Uh, So no one knows the future, right? No one knows what's going to happen in five years and 10 years and 20 years. But, but the theory is and how it has worked thus far, um, and I have every reason to believe it will continue is that every year and not literally every year, but like the average every year, your Bitcoin, you have more spend in power. So essentially it's, it's, it's deflationary versus inflationary. Um, and because of that, you have incentive, if you don't need, if you need it, like if you, if you're hungry and you need to eat, then you're going to spend it. But if you don't need it and you know, in the back of your mind, well, I could probably get this for less next week or next month or next year. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: If, I can, if, I can, if I can ask a question that's been bugging me and I don't see it, let's, I'm, I'm going to take it that we all agree that inequality in the world is a is an issue. One, yeah. one of the big issues of our time. Absolutely. Um, let's say El Salvador was successful and Bitcoin was adopted and then other countries decided, okay, let's all go towards uh, legal tender uh, having Bitcoin. My understanding is that the way this has been um, developed by Santoshi is that there's only going to be a limited amount of Bitcoin in the world, etc. So all these company countries start going on it more and more people start buying it up um, and they're doing their you know micro Bitcoin transactions amongst themselves. Uh, but there's no more Bitcoin really being made, which is pretty much at the limit. Um, that, that would mean the bit price of Bitcoin would go up. these people would be. You know, they, they would if they bought in, they would still be making the benefits. But then we would have, I think, the stat I read was one thousand people uh, own and own forty percent of all Bitcoin. If the world was to, if we were to adopt Bitcoin on a, on a significant scale and push the price up into the millions, we would then have one thousand guys who would be, have a wealth way beyond Jeff Bezos way beyond Bill Gates, 1,000 guys who got in on the Bitcoin craze in 2013, sorry, don't want to use craze, Bitcoin in 2013, 2014, okay, now the world's adopted it, they would be trillionaires at that point. So how would that be a sensible solution to the world's problems if we consider inequality to be one of those problems?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think Bitcoin fixes a lot of things, but it doesn't fix everything. Uh, inequality is a huge issue now. And I don't think Bitcoin solves that. I think there's, I think the the statistic that you used, I, I don't doubt that the top 40 addresses, or what would you say the top 1,000?
1: 1, 000... 1,000 guys earned 40% of Bitcoin.
0: Predominantly um,
1: white guys as well, I would imagine. But anyway, yeah, that's, yeah. Not, that's
0: not the point. So, so so, I would think that rather than it being 1,000 individuals, it's probably 1,000 wallet addresses. And those wallet addresses are exchanges, they're, they're mutual funds. Like, it, it, it's not necessarily one to one. Every wallet address yeah. on that list represents one person. Um, one wallet address could be, could be a collection of thousands of people on that. Like, the top, the top uh, wallet addresses tend to be exchanges. Um, but but to your point, there still would be economic inequality in a, in a world that fully adopts Bitcoin. I don't think it would be worse than now.
1: Seems like, you know, if you're talking about a mass adoption, the fact that, you know, what started out as a relatively small group of people who are very online. And, I you know, like I said, I'm sympathetic. So here's a different question. I used to... Like years ago, I, I'm interested in um, you know devaluation of currencies. And I do think there are problems with fiat currencies, but you know years ago there was a company which basically allowed you to use um, uh, called Gold Money, and you could log on and then you could deposit you know a thousand dollars or whatever, and you would get a thousand dollars of gold uh, in in you know worth of worth of gold in a in a um, in a uh, vault somewhere would be, you know, cordoned off and said, okay, this this belongs to Matt Yuki. And then I could then upload that onto my debit card and I could spend that. And so I, you know, I could make transactions. And so we had, you know, people tell me that Bitcoin is digital gold. And that's the bit I most like, I think is most useful, but I don't understand why that wouldn't, you know, <laughs> sort of frustrating, frustrating from my personal investment point of view that, you know, when I did that, that, that didn't go anywhere. And, and, and Bitcoin shot up. But that doesn't also have, you know, gold mining is way less um, uh, emissions produced mining gold, for example, than, than Bitcoin these days, at least. So I think there are just other ways of, of storing money. And plus, and these things are, you know, also more, um, more, more, more gradually uh, distributed because governments hold gold and, and other other. You know, institutions, I, I, banks, I'd, I'd, like to, gold.
2: I'd like to jump in here for a second. Like, Go on. I, I can't buy the argument that gold is mining is more environmentally friendly than using Bitcoin, especially after going to some places in Colombia where gold is mined. Like gold mining is a disaster for the economy. It's horrible for the water table. It's horrible for so many things: deforestation, um, illegal roads being built that cause flooding. Uh, it's it's. I don't think I can't really buy that argument. But like two, 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 two,
1: Can I just make two quick follow-ups? I'm yeah. Saying that the amount of the amount of uh, money, the amount of um, uh, emissions being produced now for mining Bitcoin is vastly, vastly superior to the amount of emissions coming from the gold sector. That's sure, but factor. we're looking, looking at the second at, we're factor, at one The second factor of... we're talking. The second yeah, factor we're talking about here, and I agree with you. In, in Colombia, I hundred percent agree. You do gold mining is a disaster. But a lot of that is, as well, has to be noted, the effect of you know illegal illegal gold mining, uh,
2: you know, I'm not sure the gangs
1: and that kind of stuff. I mean, we
2: well, could listen. We could. I mean, t- Canada doesn't
1: have. Canada doesn't have. Canada has some of the biggest gold mines in. in I was the world. about to talk about Ashanti, yeah.
2: I was about. I was about to talk about Ashanti Gold. Like that. 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 Extraction here is a source not just of environmental problems, and looking beyond. I don't wanna derail the entire conversation. I just have to push back on this point. Like if you wanna measure the economic impact of gold mining only by how much fossil fuel it consumes, that's not a very accurate way of gauging the environmental impact of gold mining. And I say that from an industry perspective globally, but if we're going to use Columbia specifically as an example, um, extraction projects, including those run by Canadian gold mining gold companies have historically led to massive human rights abuses. Massive. Like, there have been examples of gold miners In hiring paracos. Yeah. yeah, have been hiring paracos to kill people that oppose their projects. So, I mean, I'm, I'm the main point that I'm trying to make is I don't view gold as any more logical, a resource storage device than Bitcoin. To me, it's like, the only thing that makes wealth Store well or badly is our perception of whether it stores well or badly. And to me, there's no reason why a rock from the ground has any any more value than a piece of code in the cloud, right? Like they're they're well,
1: both. Yeah, but it's been a, it's been doing that for five thousand years. But yeah, you're you're essentially right. But it does have five thousand years of history as as being a storage of wealth behind it, which was and it might change. That it might be the end of that. That really might happen. But the gold prices are also quite high right now historically. Compared to compared to compared to you know even a few years ago on the basis of that same inflation. Now I'm not saying that we should just suddenly and you know a high gold price would encourage more illegal mining in Colombia. That's a problem that Colombia needs to sort out. I'm not saying one or the other, but I'm just saying I'm I'm just saying that the you know the amount the the amount of emissions currently being produced by uh, by by the Bitcoin side of things is also, you know, significantly higher than what we. It doesn't seem to be an improvement. What I'm trying to say is, it doesn't seem to be an improvement on the on the on, on 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 the gold situation given the emissions. And you're right about human rights abuses in Colombia with Drummond and and, and these places. Obviously, have had uh, a large a large history with that. But you know,
2: that was a bit of a digression. Sorry. I, yeah, I, yeah. That's I, going I'm to I'm I'm j- I'm just interested in the idea. Bringing this back to cryptocurrency, the idea of of, okay, the way that I think about all, all global economy is various players that compete for space in this economy print fun tickets, right? They print these little tickets that, are, that you can buy ice cream with and they give them to the to their citizens. And basically we all kind of deal with the ramifications of all those powers competing with one another within um, a sector that is presented as having, having limited resources. And that's, that's the chaotic system we have that everyone's defending right now, right? I like, the idea that the people one day could be like, you know what, we're going to make our own fun tickets. It's super easy. And they're credible. Now we have a system to do so. And I like the idea that that could displace the system. I'm not completely convinced that cryptocurrency is the ultimate solution to that. It would en- enable that sort of revolution, if you will, economic revolution. I don't mean that in a political sense at all. Uh, aside from the obvious ties. Um, I-, I think that, based on, on what I've been able to gather, there's still a lot of problems. And I think we're discussing some of those right now. But to me, from my personal perspective, like I don't view what the Fed does as any more morally correct than what a sort of bottom-up marketplace that Bitcoin does, right? They're both, they're both just operating to further their own interests. And I don't know which would be better or worse for the world. I know that there's a lot of problems with the system we have right now. It sounds like Bitcoin is trying to address some of those, although through an interesting mechanism of sort of greed, if you will. Um, but
1: that's, But if you, if you don't mind me, like, I don't, I'm not against, I, I, like I said, the crypto, it seems to me, and I, I'm not an expert in this, but people talk about, you know, the new crypto or, or government-backed crypto or whatever it is, but many of the benefits, you know, which could come from crypto, giving somebody, you know, giving people an option to convert their fiat into crypto. But if it could be done on a more egalitarian basis so that we didn't have, you know, a tiny, a very small number of people dominating the market and, and people could, yeah, take that and then, okay, I got paid this and I'm going to convert it into the, my, 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 into, into my Josh Collins coins. Uh, from change from and and then the government can't touch that they can't mess with that you know that's bottom up then then that's fair but if you know if it would if it was introduced in a way in which everybody benefited or the benefits were you know shared equally rather than making a small amount of people incredibly beyond anybody's wildest dreams rich then that would be that would probably be a preferable scenario for me
0: i i can't imagine a system that would create wealth that would be more egalitarian than what Bitcoin is, um, because it's it's voluntary. So what you're talking about is, is if the whole world got together and they were like, okay, we're starting this new system, everyone has to use it, everyone's forced to use it. Um, the fact that some people use Bitcoin and some people don't, that's how it should be. I don't think that anyone should be forced to use it. Uh, and also, the the other thing that you were talking about it it sounds like centralization I think centralization inevitably leads to corruption right like is there is there a concentration of wealth with bitcoin like are there people that that can have more bitcoin than others absolutely um, there's no there's no like restrictions there where you could only have you know your share of the network um, but in a centralized system where we have to rely on you know a trusted third party whether it's a government or a corporation or whatever then that the power will inevitably concentrate within them and i think that is more likely to lead to corruption yeah that's a good answer actually
2: um Uh, and then there was one other point that matt raised that maybe you could address that i think is an interesting point is that now let's let's I know that you kind of pushed back a little bit on that exact number, but let's say that the, the top 40% of, of Bitcoin entities, since they might be more than one person, um, decide that they're going to engage in market manipulation. Like much in the ways of the early days uh, with stock markets in London or, the, or New York, when you had like these big whales could have impacts on the, econ- the global economy just by the fact of they had control over some of the resources that were being bid upon would that be an issue with bitcoin as well
0: um yeah so because bitcoin is a new system that there there could be attack vectors that we're just not aware of yet right so like a common one that people talk about is the 51 percent attack which means that if half of the miners got together and they decided that they wanted to to uh to do some shady things for their personal benefit. Um, they, if you have more than half of the hashing power, then it gives you, it gives you a lot of authority over the network. Um, so Bitcoin is designed in such a way to, to use game theory to incentivize all the participants towards a common goal, uh, and the t- and the common goal is is Bitcoin. The common goal is is the is the survival and success of Bitcoin. So if if these miners got together and they had 51%, so first of all, the community wouldn't like that. And the way that mining works is uh, there are mining pools. So individuals have miners and they point it to a pool. If it looked like one of the pools was gearing up to do something bad, then they would point it to a different pool. The community doesn't want that to happen, right? But if it did happen, then they would be they would they would be hurting themselves as much as anyone else because if you control 51 percent of the network you are being rewarded with a lot a lot of bitcoin so if you did something nefarious it would hurt the price of bitcoin and you are getting paid in bitcoin so you never want to hurt the price of bitcoin so there's there's like an elaborate system of of checks using game theory to to, to make sure that everyone is incentivized for the, for the same end goal. Wouldn't it be
2: possible to create, uh, economic instruments by which you could benefit from the fall in the price of Bitcoin as to effectively short sell it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that is something that, that hackers have done in the past, like individuals rather than large groups. Like if they know that, that they're able, and not with Bitcoin, usually with, with smaller cryptocurrencies, they know that, um, they know that they will be able to hack an exchange or, or hack whatever. They know that an event is about to come. So then they could short that coin that they're about to attack. Mm-hmm. And yes, that, that, that's true. Um, Can I mean, I, it's, it's, it's still, yeah. No, sorry.
1: I mean, I, 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 I wanted to um, jump in and say, because I've got a little bit of time left. And uh, as you can probably tell, I'm not not an expert on how how an alternative cryptocurrency could be more egalitarian. I just thought maybe we could turn it a little bit back um, to El Salvador because I I totally agree with John. I think education is super important. And so the question I had for John was, you know, what are you? What's your foundation uh, doing? And what are the sort of key skills or things you think need to be taught in in El Salvador? And you know, and that I think that is something that is going to be super important. I think you know if people can learn to manage efficiently you know how much they convert into dollars and how they spend and how they save that is interesting. but I mean I wanted to hear you know what kind of programs and, and what are the ma- main things you're, you're teaching on that side of things um,
0: Yeah so the, the main thing so this is this is a brand new thing and and we are still learning too, um, which is exciting that there's just there's a lot of potential there. Uh, So our idea is to help people actually use Bitcoin rather. So I think there's, there's a, people are intimidated to get involved with Bitcoin often because they think they have to be an expert in technology or economics or, or, or philosophy or game theory. And they don't, they don't need to, they don't need to know all of that to, to benefit from the system. Um, and I think it's it's much easier than people realize. So I, I think you've probably seen people use Bitcoin in El Zante or whatever. It's, it's, yeah. it's a super simple process. Um, so the idea of the school is to, so the school will have classes in, in the global North, like the US or the UK, and part of the tuition fee will, will fund student scholarships in El Salvador. Uh, so the classes are free in El Salvador. The students don't pay anything. But they were. I'm sorry, keeping-
1: where were the- are the classes in El Zonte or in San Salvador as well, or where? where which locations?
0: In so so, it's just launching this month. Um, but okay. in San Salvador is 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 where the where we'll be we based in it, at least initially. Um. So the idea is to to have someone that knows about Bitcoin sit around five or six people. Um. Everyone downloads a wallet and they send them some, some Satoshis on their Lightning wallet. And there's like a chain, you know, you, you receive some, you send it to the next person, send it to the next person. And they just learn how to use it. And as they're, so it's a learn by doing sort of thing. And as they learn how to do that, then the teacher, you know, uh, has a conversation that, that addresses any concerns that they have about it and just explains to them um, what the system is and how it could benefit them. Um, and just tries to personally connect them with it.
2: In a way, it's just... A, so the, the philosophy of the school would be to simply um, ease ease entry into this marketplace for people who may not be familiar with it.
0: Yeah, the philosophy of the school, I would say, as, as, as writers, I think maybe you could sympathize with this, is show, don't tell. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So rather than like, this is what Bitcoin is, this is what it can do, this is... Yeah, we'll do that, but this is you have Bitcoin in your hand right now on your phone. This is how you would send a payment. This is how you would receive a payment. This is what you would do if you lost your phone and you wanted to recover that Bitcoin. Um, this is the difference between these two wallets. This is the difference between uh you know a custodial and a non-custodial, where one wallet where you are the only person who has control over it, and another wallet like the government wallet, Jivo. Uh, that the government will, will have some, some authority with that wallet. They'll be able to, to do some tracking. I mean, it's, I'm not totally clear, but the government will, you won't be in complete control of that wallet. Sure. Uh, So it's important that people know the difference. And in fact, in El Salvador, I find as I'm sure is the case in basically everywhere in Latin America and with, with good reason, people are skeptical of the government. Um, And they don't, They're skeptical of, you know, giving up their ID to sign up for their for this account and knowing that the government could could track uh, how they use their Bitcoin and all of that. And I have found that a lot of people, once they learn that that is that is not the only option. Right. Yeah. So so Bitcoin is a tool and there's different ways to use that tool. Um, And I have found that when people learn about other ways that they could use this tool. Then it becomes a lot more attractive to them. Uh huh. That's interesting.
2: Well, so, I think- but
1: when I was when I spoke to the um I spoke to a guy who runs a very popular Bitcoin podcast who had been interviewing interviewing for and he had two two questions two two doubts. We'll get to the second one later. Um, but one of the doubts was like you know financial education because these people in El Salvador they don't live on you know giant margins. So if they get two hundred dollars uh, from their uh, 200 dollars worth of Bitcoin transferred from the U.S. Uh, to their Bitcoin wallet in El Salvador. Um, this guy I was speaking to is a big Bitcoin guy. I was saying, look, you know, the the important thing is they're educated. So they know that you know if they have you know 180 dollars expenses uh, in the month that they convert that you know immediately into dollars, so they've got that money safe and they're isolated from the uh, or they you know con- The eighty percent into dollars when they receive it, and then those twenty percent, you know, you can keep that as an investment, which may go up or down. Hopefully, generally trending up. But the problem is that when you do have, you know, if if somebody's relying on those two hundred bucks and then they don't convert it, and then the Bitcoin price happens like it happened in March this year when China when it went down steeply, that they could, you know, find themselves really squeezed for a month or a couple of months because, you know, what they had was suddenly was suddenly worth half. So he was saying, you know you know, teaching people how to manage their personal finance. But that's in countries without great education levels and where, you know, they might be easily, you know, if you think that stocks only go up forever, you know, and and so you you take, you know, you assume more risk because you've only seen the track record and it's been going great recently, that that creates, you know, quite a lot. There's sufficient volatility there to potentially cause people problems, so educating people about, you know, managing that volatility, uh, the, the the you know what they keep in dollars and in Bitcoin, that to me would seem to be quite an important sort of priority, especially in the early months.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, to to just be you know upfront with people, I mean, it's I think it's a it's a terrible way to 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 sell Bitcoin as as something that you will only ever profit from like profit is, is it's just not the right way to view it. And it's not an honest way to view it because again, we don't know the future. This is unpredictable, right? Like this is unprecedented and unpredictable. Uh, So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree that, that that is a component of the education that's needed here that that the price of Bitcoin relative to the dollar could go in either direction. Um, I don't think like when I talk to people, that's not how I pitch Bitcoin. I don't pitch it as a way for them to, to increase their spending power. Again, I pitch it as a way for them to better control their spending power. Mm
1: -hmm. But ultimately when people buy things in El Salvador, be it a Pupusa or a, you know, or a, or a car, those prices will always be a dollar price converted into Bitcoin. You know, a, a propulsor is not gonna stay at the um, base price of uh, you know one Santoshi or, or whatever. It's mm-hmm. gonna change if 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 the price halves, the Bitcoin halves it's gonna be two Santoshi when you're when you're yeah. when when you're paying for it. So you know if, if people keep, you know, it has the potential in, until until the inputs and the raw materials which go into making a pupusa or a car are also priced in Bitcoin, there's always going to be that bit of volatility. surely.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that this is this maybe is a whole new
2: mm-hmm.
0: topic. But I think I think an important thing or something that excites me about Bitcoin uh, here in El Salvador and and everywhere, but but we could keep the focus on El Salvador, is that Money is just the first use case, right? And when I say Bitcoin, it could be, other, uh, could be other cryptocurrencies as well. But so when we are sending a transaction that is sending Bitcoin from one wallet to another, what we are sending is bits of information. And we've agreed that those bits of information have value. Those bits of information could be anything that we turn into data we could put on the blockchain. So a case here in El Salvador um, that I think is is uh, is important is is property deeds, right? So there's if you want to to sell your house, the way that the system works now is you have to go to you have to go to to a government center that has these property deeds. They have them on file. Um, you have to pay a fee. It's a complex system. Maybe you need a lawyer to help you with it, uh, and. And that that is how you you would sell a property in the future. We could put those property deeds on the blockchain, right? And and again, it will be peer to peer. Like there won't be any there won't be any centralized third party between the pers- between the buyer and the seller. Um, and I think that that creates efficiencies that don't exist in in the system now. And it also takes away some opportunities for corruption. Um, Man, wow, you have done
2: that sounds so appealing to me. As somebody who like bought it and sold an apartment here in Colombia a few years ago, it was a nightmare. Sorry, <laughs> just continue. But uh, again, again, I agree with the. Sorry, just jump in. I agree with the
1: peer to peer bit. That does seem crucial. But you know, there are other ways to improve efficient. As somebody who's bought a car in Chile and an apartment in in Colombia, I know about you know the process of notarías. But that is also again some you know, Estonia and places like that. We've developed e government systems of found a way to vastly improve and make efficient, you know, you can get a business license in Estonia in like 24 hours or something and, you know, change all that. And it's, maybe it's not beer to beer, maybe there is that central aspect. And I appreciate, I appreciate that's a, a, you know, a a qualitative difference, but you know, you can make improvements in there's there's inefficiencies and not just because of the currency.
0: So so I think Estonia is a good example. The government of Estonia has really embraced blockchain technology, which is, also, what I'm talking about, they've they use blockchain technology well, keeping themselves as a as a centralized like third party. Um, I don't think they're necessary, but it, in any event, they're still using the same technology. I think we're talking about the same thing. And another important point uh, for for listeners, or or um, another important point to include is that the blockchain is transparent and it's immutable, right? So. Everyone can see that transaction that you made. Everyone can see who has that property deed, and no one can change that. And I think that is that is a super powerful thing that could be applied to a number of industries that that we haven't even thought of yet, um, mm-hmm. but we will. So money is because of greed is a great incentive, right? And that that has been. I mean, greed is terrible, but it's also a good incentive to, to get people involved. And thus far, that's been, unfortunately, one of the primary motivators. Um, I do believe that that will change, and it's starting to already change, why people are motivated to use Bitcoin. So in the US, people use Bitcoin for, for, for greed, essentially. In Venezuela, like Josh was talking about how the penetration is higher in Venezuela than the US, They're using it in Venezuela for a different motivation. Argentina, it's grown a lot lately too, and they have different motivations. And I'm really hopeful about the adoption of Bitcoin specifically in Latin America, because I think that they are doing it for the adoption is driven by reasons that I support a whole lot more than greed.
1: Can I, can I just say, like when I, I mentioned that in, in the warm up to my El Salvador trip, I spoke to a, a Bitcoin podcaster who was generous enough for this time. He said his other fear um, is that it doesn't stop there. Uh, it doesn't stop with bit He's a big Bitcoin supporter. And, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps have probably some of the similar arguments to yourself. Uh, but the government's already talking about making its own um, El Salvador government, sorry. So making its own uh, cryptocurrency called a uh, Colón. Um, They're also, you know, been meeting with this uh, guy who I can't remember, but he used to be in Mighty Ducks. He's the, I think he's the, I think he's the CEO of Teva Brooks something. And the guy, my, uh, my, my source was saying, yeah, this guy, you know, watch where you step with him. Latin America has a history uh, of being um, exploited by foreign investors when they find a credulous, credulous or corrupt government somebody who either sells their, for the sake of argument, uh, zinc mine too cheap or does a corrupt land deal to give a foreign company banana plantations. I mean, this has happened many times over Latin America's history. And I'm not going to talk about Bitcoin, but this person I was talking to was also very concerned that there's a whole world of bogus, uh, cryptocurrencies. I mean, Dogecoin is the one that's most commonly being cited these days. But I mean, I had a on Instagram. I saw a, a porn star into uh, t- telling me, instructing me to invest in Porg Coin, um, and so <laughs> and Tits Coin. And so, I do follow a few porn stars. Um, but I suppose my, my question is, is that you know, the, we have to. Re- the government has a responsibility now to protect its citizens who aren't. It has a responsibility. Even well, two problems. If Bukele could be credulous and he could not understand, you know, the the guy, you know, the guys, some of the guys he was inviting, another crypto source saying, yeah, he shouldn't be talking to these guys or encouraging them. Oh, I'm
2: sure they're bad actors.
1: Their stuff. Yeah, of course, there's bad actors. But there's gonna are we gonna invite bad actors into El Salvador? Or given the fact that a lot of this is pushed by, you know, Bukele's family basically who aren't ministers but appear to you know run the country like the rest of his shallow cabinet that you know there's the chance that, there's, that they're not credulous they just you know they know what they're doing and this is a an opportunity to to benefit I mean the the, the issue of to put a broader question opening up to all sorts of you know, Bitcoin is one thing. Bitcoin has a reputation. It's you know established. It's got a good track record now in terms of price, for example, it's being gradually adopted elsewhere. But, you know, inviting a lot of other cryptocurrencies into a small country like El Salvador might seem to be uh, a slightly unwise and naive uh, thing to do.
2: John, maybe you can answer that as a sort of wrap up. We've got about three minutes to keep this under an hour. So go ahead. I'll give you the
0: last word. OK, Um yeah, so I, I think I think that definitely is a concern, and again, I think the the solution to that is is education. So the less educated an individual is about anything, but in this in this case, cryptocurrency, or maybe even especially with cryptocurrency and Bitcoin, the more vulnerable they are to bad actors. Um, and actually, I think Bitcoin. Incentivizes that like Bitcoin is a is a system of of incentives, Uh, whether it's energy, whether it's miners cooperating with each other. uh, But it's also it incentivizes people to be educated about it. So if you, for example, uh, if you send a, a Bitcoin transaction to you send the wrong amount to someone, you can't reverse it. There's no way to claw that back. Um, and that on the surface that sounds bad if you make a mistake no one can correct it mm-hmm. but I think that's actually a feature rather than a bug because it, it, it makes you like when I send a Bitcoin transaction as opposed to a PayPal transaction um, I'm much more conscious that I have to do it right that there are bad actors that I have to I have to verify I'm not just gonna do it willy-nilly mm-hmm. Uh and, and I think Bitcoin incentivizes you to just be better educated about the system to, to as a defense against these things.
2: That's great. Well, I think that I'd like to keep this under an hour, so we're gonna call it here, but thank you, Matt and John, for coming to talk about this. I learned a lot. I hope everybody Pirate else did wire too.
0: PirateWire Radio. Yeah, Frontlines pleasure. indie journalism yep. as part of Pirate wire Services.
1: Frontline indie journalism from the global south to you.
2: Pirate Wire Radio. Transmission initiating in 3, 2, 1. Piracy commencing. Pirate Wire Radio.